Welcome to this week's episode of Birthright Living Legacy Podcast, where we share the stories of fatherhood and their effects because there is no manual. We are here to learn from each other as we build our fatherhood playbook. Now welcome your host, Marquis and Crystal Dennis. Oh, yes. One more exciting week of glory here, uh, being able to share my right hand, my left arm, and my, I don't know, you're just all kinds of extremities and body parts. But ladies and gentlemen, presenting the one, the only, Crystal Dennis! Oh, oh yes. Hey, okay, hey guys, calm down. Calm down. She, she's going to be here all week. She'll be here all week. All week. All right. All right. Well, welcome back. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Thank you for the feedback you send us. It helps us tailor me how we um, how we conduct our, our podcast. So we appreciate all your faithful listeners. And we are excited today because we have someone very special. We'd like to call her our VIP. Her name is Amy Turner. She is a licensed professional counselor. Yes, come on. Who is also raising her son, who's 13 years old. So without further ado, please help us welcome Amy Turner. Oh, yeah. And so some of you fathers may know uh, I have uh, plugged a behavioral mindset uh, many, many times. Uh, so this is the, uh, the uh, owner, operator, and brain behind the big place. So if you've ever done a podcast here, those uh, squishy brains that you get to squeeze on while you're doing your podcast, she is responsible for those. So yes. thank you. Welcome. Welcome. Ms. Amy. <laughs> thank you for having me. I appreciate you asking me to come. Oh yeah. We're super excited, man. So we want to go ahead and just dive right in because we know we have a lot to talk about. Uh, so if you could tell us what was your favorite part about being your father's daughter? Hmm. That's a good question. My favorite part about being my father's daughter, um, probably all of the fun stuff that he bought for me. I know <laughs> nice. that's terrible, isn't no, it? No, that's not terrible. That's at all. a love language. Yeah. That's, a lo that's yeah. my love language. He, yeah, gifts. he bought me several cars nice. um, whenever I was a teenager. So I, I appreciated that. Nice. Do you remember yeah. what your first one was? I do. It was a 71 Nova. Okay. Yeah. Nova. Yeah. I, wow. I have to be honest, though. I was disappointed because I thought <laughs> I was... I thought I was getting a Mustang, so okay. Yeah, I had a little resentment about that, but yeah. but it was a fast car. Yeah, the Novas are pretty. They're like classic cars now, right? Yes. Um, yeah. It was a. It was. It was a big hit with the guys for sure because it was a. <laughs> you know, as a V eight. Nice. Yes. Nice. So where'd you grow up at? I grew up in Tulsa. Um, kind of straddled Tulsa and Jinx because my parents got a divorce when I was five. Hmm. And um, my dad lived in Jinx, and my mom lived in Tulsa. So um, I would say that that, uh, that split was a pretty significant uh, thing for me at that age. It was, a, it was a hard thing for me to swallow. And then, you know, going back and forth between my parents was, um, you know, it was just a tough deal. Um, you know, I mean, I was fortunate because uh, my dad paid child support, and he picked us up every other weekend. But um, you know, as far as resiliency goes and him not be pre being present in the home, um, I had a hard time with that. I really struggled with that and it was, it was difficult for me. So yeah. were well, you a oh, daddy's ahead. girl? 
Is, or Yeah, I was okay. before, uh, before the split. And honestly, I mean, being five years old, like you don't know what's going on. And all right. of a sudden it's like, okay, well, we're, <laughs> we're splitting up. Right. And, and, uh, you know, my mom describes me as like not being emotional about it. Um, you know, not wanting to talk about it, just being like, I'm okay. I'm okay. Um, and being little, but the funny thing is, is like, I felt like I wasn't, um, taken care of emotionally in that situation. Mm. Um, you know, like growing up from either parent. So, you know, so that was a, that was, um, something that manifested into some, uh, maladaptive behaviors, you know, as I was growing up. So. So do you have other siblings or is it just you? I do. I have a sister that's four years younger than me and we have both the same biological parents. And then I have a half brother that's, he's about 17 years younger than me and um, he's my dad and my stepmom's child. So. Okay. Okay. Now when you're five years old, it's probably hard to explain what you were thinking, but do you feel like it was a, you had to be tough for your mom and that's maybe why you didn't want to process it? You know, what I really remember about that was wanting to fix it. Mm. Like really spending a lot of time, like trying to um, manipulate the situation to get it back the way that I wanted it to be. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, honestly, I really had those thoughts till I was about 10 years old and my mom like went out on a date with somebody else and, uh, and it just destroyed me. So, um, because I just couldn't like fathom them not being together. Now today it's like, there's no way that that would have worked because Mm. they're total, they're completely opposite people. So like in every way that you could be opposite. So, so I get that now, but back then in my little five-year-old brain, you know, I could not process that. And, um, you know, like I said, I just, I stuffed it and, um, you know, I became pretty, ang- I was a pretty angry child. Mm. So going from a daddy's girl and then just experiencing that hurt and maybe betrayal, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but mm-hmm. just from what I'm hearing, um, what, what does that look like now? Do you, do you still have a relationship? Is it with my dad? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I do. And like I said, he picked us up every weekend, paid child support. And, um, but I mean, as far as like having a close relationship with him, you know, I wouldn't say that, um, like emotionally that that's ever really been possible, but, you know, I've done a lot of work on myself, um, you know, through, um, a recovery program and also through therapy where, you know, we have a really great relationship today and I, I don't put expectations on him that he cannot fulfill, Mm. you know, it's like learning how to accept, accept someone where they are and, um, you know, being okay with that. Wow. That reminds me of my husband. Sorry, honey. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, He says all the time. I'm so excited. This is the most she's talked ever. She must love you. (laughs) (laughs) I get get to just be over here and be quiet. This is awesome. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So one of his quotes that used to drive me crazy in the beginning, but once I really started to break it down and think about it, I was like, wow, this is so helpful. And he always tells me, he's like, honey, when when someone shows you who they are, believe them. And Mm -hmm. at first, you know, again, I just didn't really understand fully what he was saying. But then I realized, um, you know, and me, I'm like, I'm like a feeler. And so I was like, oh, that's really rude. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) I want to believe the best in people. Um, But when I started filtering it through what he was genuinely saying, and he was Mm -hmm. saying, you know, not to put those expectations that exceed somebody.
somebody's capacity or, or their desire, you right. know? Right. And when I started looking through that filter, I'm like, wow, this does help me put healthy boundaries on relationships because I'm not like, oh, well, you're in the mother role, so you should do X, Y, Z. No, that's not, that's not where you're at. So let me, let me put my expectation with where you're offering me. And then we can build on the foundation that you have capacity for. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and one of the things I've learned is that expectations, especially in people, equal disappointment. Mm. Absolutely. Because uh, I can tell you, trying to live up to these expectations as a husband sometimes, you know, especially from Lifetime and Oxygen or wherever she got that idea from, it's like, uh, you do know they went to commercial break right before they did yes, that. Yes, it is very unfortunate, you know, and it is something that I try to be aware of, but it is very unfortunate. I didn't have an example of marriage mm. and growing up, and so my only example was TV. Or, you know, in the last five years, I had a couple of friends who had great marriages, but I'm, I'm coming in at 20 years of marriage, you know. Yeah. So I'm blending life TV with 20 years of marriage, and I'm like, well, That's how it's doing, supposed honey? to be in the first you know? two weeks. It's like, uh, you do realize, like, we just met, like, two months ago, right? Like, yeah. calm down. But the, the interesting <laughs> thing is we don't realize how much these things impact our subconscious and then filter into our expectation. Because I never would have sat here and told you, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm holding up to the standard of, you know, my friend's marriage or TV because it just wasn't a thought for me. It was just that was what I understood this role to be. And that's what I subconsciously projected towards him. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until he was like, well, can you stop comparing me to so-and-so? I'm like, what are you doing? And then I was like, oh, man, I guess I did do that, you know? Yeah. So even as we grow up with our parents, I feel like what we view, what we get from them, um, then trickles into who we become or how we think and how we process the world. Absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, like you said, mm -hmm. with no matter what the situation, we all experience hurt. And if we don't process that in a healthy way, it can manifest us and, and, and direct us in ways that we don't even want our life to go into that direction of. Right. So, yeah, thanks for sharing that. Thank you. Yeah, so you have an amazing story uh, that you get, you know, obviously booked out to share all over the world. Uh, but thinking, like, from the clinician standpoint, as you look back, how much would you say the father, uh, the divorce played a role in um, how some of the things turned out for you? Was it, was it like the catalyst that started it or was it just one of those things that was just entered into that helped you continue whatever the, the journey was? Well, I think it was definitely the beginning of um, my demise, I guess I would call it, you know, <laughs> my, my series of poor decisions. And, um, you know, I mean, honestly, but the reality was is that I was just trying to feel better. You know, I just wanted to feel better because I, I didn't feel good. And, um, you know, I mean, there were other things, other factors that played into that. But I would say that that um, mainly, you know, I remember thinking like that, you know, I was missing that that component in my life. Even though my dad was present, I didn't feel like he was. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't feel like anything I ever did was good enough. I didn't feel like, um, you know, I ever got what I needed from him. And, um, you know, I think as, as children, it's so important that we learn to, you know, learn what our kids need and how they need it. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and, and that's one of the things that I've learned just from doing my own therapy is like, you know, I, I had all the bills paid, you know, I had um, you know, I never went without a meal or clothing or anything like that. Maybe it wasn't what, exactly what I wanted, but, um, but my parents did not know how to give me what I needed the way I needed. And, you know, we're all different. Mm -hmm. And that's the great thing about um, technology today, about 
um, you know, just advancements in general is like we're learning that, you know, we can figure out what people need and how they need it Mm -hmm. and provide that for them. And, um, you know, that's one of the beautiful things about um, just like time evolving, right? Is like we're just Mm -hmm. learning more about what people need. And so, um, but... But yeah, I really, you know, for the longest time, I felt like that was my biggest issue was my, my daddy issues. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I mean, it's really cool. My sister got married yesterday and, um, both sides of my family were there. I was just telling somebody this earlier and that's like, not once was I overly concerned with anyone there. You know, I didn't have to worry about anyone's feeling. And I didn't realize it till the end of the day. I was like, Oh my God, I wasn't like trying to fix anything. I wasn't, you know, but, but that's kind of how I've been my whole life. It's like, I, I'm trying to like not rock the boat, not Mm -hmm. uh, make anyone upset. And it was like, I was just there having a good time, enjoying myself, visiting with people. And then afterwards I was like, wow, that was really cool. You know, I didn't have to, I didn't have to exert myself to make sure everybody else was okay. And, you know, that was one of the coping mechanisms that I picked up along the way was, um, you know, taking care of other people being, um, overly concerned with their feelings over mine. And, um, you know, and, and that's, that's what I learned from my early relationships. Mm -hmm. How did that play out in the dating world? Did you find yourself like holding on to people that you sh- <laughs> she's showing her hand with no ring right now for those of you that can't yeah, see. Right. So did it did it play out like, you know, you were finding yourself staying in in uh, what we would consider, I guess, toxic relationships or bad relationships because you were trying to fix them or were you overly dismissive or Um well, I mean, to be honest, I haven't had a lot of long-term relationships or obviously not one particular long-term <laughs> relationship. And, um, and really that is because of like attachment. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if we don't learn to attach appropriately or, um, uh, learn to attach, then it's hard to do that. And so, um, you know, for me that has looked like, uh, for, I have to be pretty good friends with somebody before I can date them. Mm-hmm. Otherwise it, it just feels like too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. That's cool. So you do also specialize in in an area of childhood trauma, which Mm -hmm. was what really got us interested in uh, trying to go through the process. We unfortunately don't have a lot of time, uh, but we definitely are interested in that. When when you have parents that are coming in, um, do you see like very similar uh, similar responses to things um, now that I know drugs are a lot more prevalent now that marijuana is illegal and things of that nature. Do you find that coping um, is the same now uh, as it was then, or is it worse or what's, what's kind of your thoughts? I mean, what do you mean specifically like now compared to before marijuana was legal? Right. Like, I mean like, so, you know, when people were coping with, you know, before we had all the technology and all the terms that we could use like trauma, you know, people just kind of tells you to get over it, you know, mm-hmm. and then it was like, pull yourself up by your bootstraps or just suppress. Uh, and then we were just all just kind of taught to deal. Right. Uh, versus now where we're talking about mental space, mental health in a more um, acceptive mm-hmm. manner to say, hey, wait a minute, you know, this is how I'm processing a thing. Do you find that that's helping people or are they coping um, with external things a lot more or less? Does it 
Is there a difference? Well, I mean, that's really hard to say because that is what I specialize in because I'm a, I'm a LPC licensed professional counselor and licensed alcohol and drug counselor. So most of the clients that I see do cope through substances. I gotcha. And, um, so, you know, whenever they're coming off of that, it's really best. I mean, I, I don't want to smash the THC community, Yeah, yeah. Be, um, but it's really best for somebody that has addiction to, um, you know, to try abstinence and see what that's like and, and learn how to feel your feelings because that's, that's why I used drugs, right? Yeah. Was because I was trying to numb out. I didn't want to feel those feelings. And so, so we have to learn how to do that all over again. And, and, um, uh, yeah, I think I think being able to just go get a medical marijuana card for um, sleep or whatever, um, it, it's not always the best option for people. Now, like I said, I'm not I'm not smashing that. I don't ever tell anyone that they should or should not be doing that, no matter what their circumstances are. Right. I think that we need to be able to explore that on our own. Right. Um, but uh, you know, but I do believe that that uh, there are more people using that than the need the to be need using to. it. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So you heard it here first, folks. You hear that, honey? Now I can I can medicate the doc said. That is very okay. much not what she said. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was like the total opposite. The totally, no, 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 no. Welcome no. to my marriage. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll just do like a, a little bit of a pivot and say, you know, as you're coming into motherhood, uh, you had expressed that, uh, you're now into motherhood as a single parent uh, since two years old. Is that right? Yes. So what is it like uh, to be able to be raising a young man uh, knowing that he's missing some of those uh, conversations and some of those things that uh, would be very helpful for him and advantageous to have his dad around for? Yeah. Well, I mean, I can tell you that um, I kind of feel sorry for my son because... <laughs> He's raised by a therapist. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm constantly thinking about that, hopefully not verbalizing, you know, what I think he needs to be doing. But, um, but you know, you can definitely see that there's a hole there, um, that, that he feels like there's a part missing. And, um, and I've been single the entire time since he's been, like I haven't been in a serious relationship since he was two and he's 13 now. Um, because I've just been focused on that relationship. And honestly, after a certain period of time, it just didn't feel right to bring somebody into that relationship. And so, um, but it's been, it's been interesting. He's, he's very sensitive, um, more so than a lot of his friends. I think part of that is because he doesn't have any siblings and then partially because he doesn't have somebody that's, you know, just kind of rough with him. And, mm. and, uh, the, I mean, you see a lot of dads doing like roll, rolling around on the floor, wrestling and, you know, doing dad things. And, um, so, uh, so I think it's been difficult, but at the same time, there's been some really good things too. Um, our relationship was great. We talk about everything. Um, and once again, I think a lot of that has to do just cause he's a single or an only child raised by mom. So, mm -hmm. so yes, yeah, so, I mean, I think that there's good and bad that go along with that. Um, I mean, and I'm just saying that for me because, you know, I, w I want there to be like some good for that <laughs> in that situation also. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So I was going to ask if, and I'm trying to figure out how I even want to phrase this, but ultimately with your relationship with your dad, going from daddy's girl to, you know, him being removed pretty drastically from your life, how does that translate into how you now raise your son um, 
wanting to make sure, because I'm, I'm sure with therapist background, you try to give him as much of a full picture and as much of a, you know, I'm here for you as much as can be. So how does that, how does that translate into your relationship? Um, well, I, we talk about everything. That's one of the things that, that, uh, you know, my dad and I, we didn't, we didn't talk about, um, intimate things, um, anything beyond surface level, uh, feelings were off limits, you know, and not, not that that was a, uh, something that was verbalized. It was just unknown. Um, you know, I mean, I've gotten in a lot of, I got in a lot of trouble when I was younger, um, did drugs, you know, we just don't, we didn't talk about those things and Mm. that's, that's not, and that, that is one of the things that's completely the opposite, uh, with my relationship with my child. And I think, you know, like I was talking about earlier, like I think as time has evolved, like we're talking to our kids more than we used to. Mm-hmm. Um, but w- there's no, there's no subjects that are off limits for my son and I to talk about. Now he doesn't always feel comfortable <laughs> talking about <laughs> the subjects that I want to talk about, but I, I kind of bring it in sideways and say, well, you know, I mean, you, there's going to be a point where you're going to want to feel like you can talk about this. And so, mm-hmm. you know, so I don't, I don't force him to talk about things, but I just try to let them know that nothing's off limits. Mm -hmm. So have you um, done anything as far as like um, maybe like uncles or mentors or something like that, that you kind of plugged him in with? Oh yeah. And he has a great relationship with my dad. Okay. And um, so, uh, so there's that. And then his dad's brother is a, a big part of his life and he lives in Florida. And so, which is great because, you know, we, we go to, Orlando a lot. Nice. <laughs> nice. Yeah. We've been f- uh, frequent flyers at Universal Studios. So. Nice. That's where we went for our honeymoon. Oh, so, you did. Yeah. Oh, that's so fun. We yeah, went we during just got COVID. Back from there. And so there was, it was on a Tuesday and we literally did the whole park in three hours. Oh, it's so yeah. great. Did you do both parks? Yes. Yes. We did. Because yeah. she's a huge Harry Potter fan, oh, yeah. which oh, yeah. is the only reason we even went. And then she was like, but honey, it's just like the movie. And I was like, I know. That's why we're here. I should have, like, in retrospect, I should have sat him down and had him watch a couple Harry Potter movies because he just had no. Yeah. He's like, oh, yeah. In my mind, it was like, okay, there's a dragon. All right. Like that. No, this is so And then I went to the store where they had all the wands. And I was like, how many wands could you possibly make? Like, there should be three. My son has three. He has three. <laughs> but he didn't have context or reference from the movie. And I'm like, no, you have to understand. Like, the, the wand chooses you. There's, uh-huh. like, a whole thing, you know. Yeah, she had a whole thing. And then we <laughs> ate at the place. And it was expensive. And it wasn't that good. And so, butter anyway. Beer. That, Did that's... you have the butter beer? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. We love the butter beer. Uh-huh. <laughs> I had the lemonade. So, I just, yeah. Anyway. Um, but, yeah, so that's cool. So, now you had expressed also that um, your son has a unique uh, situation with his dad. Uh, where he's now communicating via prison. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's part of some of the things that we do just because I myself was in federal prison and, you know, was trying to build relationships with my kids, uh, which was extremely hard because I was not exactly the greatest guy before I went in. Uh, so being a dirtbag and then try to, you know, have some retrospect when you're on the inside, it kind of sucks because those emotions that she has usually still carry over. Um and you have to, you know, make a bunch of promises you probably can't keep um, and, and just to be able to be involved. Uh, but then when you come out, you know, reality hits and bills and all that stuff. And so it's almost like you wasted all this time telling me all these things. And it's like, no, I intend mm-hmm. to do all this. However, 
you know, circumstances sometimes play a part in that. So how is that relationship being um, that he's 13 now, um, having full, you know, mind, body, and soul to be able to communicate? You know, my son was three and then six by the time I came out. So it was a little bit of mom had to be involved versus, you know, your son is more able to, you know, communicate or not communicate if he chooses to. What's that relationship like on on him? Um, well, I mean, it's completely his decision. Mm-hmm. Um, and I let him know that because he, he had no relationship with him whatsoever until he went to jail. And so then he started calling. And the reason why is because before that he was on drugs. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, um, he, so I, I just told him up front, I was like, listen, you know, you can talk to him or not. I mean, I'm choosing not to, I would talk to him, but I'm choosing not to like have an ongoing relationship with him. If it's necessary for us to have a conversation, then, then I will. Um, but I don't pray for him to die anymore. (laughs) You know what I mean? I don't hate him. I I have some, you know, I have some grace and some understanding, you know, I know what it's like to be strung out on drugs and, and, um, you know, have that experience. And so, you know, I've been able to forgive him for that and, you know, have some, uh, empathy and compassion for, you know, what he's doing. And, and, uh, you know, the reason he's in prison could be a whole nother, uh, podcast. Right. So, um, but yeah, I just let him make his own decisions and, and, uh, um, and I told him at any time, if he changes his mind, if he doesn't want to have a relationship with him or doesn't want to talk to him, then that's fine. So, but, uh, his dad just calls his phone and he accepts the call and they talk for a couple minutes and, at this point, he doesn't have any interest in going to see him, um, but I've, I've, op- you know, I've let that door left that door open for him if he decides he wants to go. So, I just don't feel like it's right to keep, you know, if it's not uh, a safety issue, I don't feel right. like, like it's right to keep uh, him from uh, having that relationship. Just like his grandmother on his dad's side, like she is not my favorite person because right. <laughs> she's tried to tell me what to do over the years and, and, uh, you know, said some pretty nasty things to me, but I don't keep, uh, her uh, or keep him away from her if he wants to have a relationship with her, as long as she's not doing him any harm. And so, so that's kind of my gauge is like, you know, is he being harmed? You know, we talk, we communicate and talk about it. Um, you know, I try not to ask him a lot of questions. He's 13 now. So you know how that is, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like, that age where he's, he's really trying to establish some independence, but at the same time, you know, he's still my baby (laughs) and he acts like it sometimes. And so, so it's kind of like one of those, like approach with caution. You don't know what you're going to get. Yes. Yes. So I have a really interesting question because it just kind of came to me. Um, because when you're a, a single parent out in the world and you're doing the back and forth to different houses that you can tell the difference by the child's behavior from going to whichever house it's gone to. Can you tell a difference in his personality now that he's been communicating with his dad that wasn't prevalent before? Um, I don't, I don't really think so because it's not, it's not a frequent communication. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and like I said, it's very brief. Okay. Um, so usually whenever he talks to him, it, it's just every couple of weeks I gotcha. uh, for a few minutes. And, and, uh, you know, I listen to their conversation today because kids talk on speakerphone now or yeah. FaceTime and they don't look at the phone, but, um, you know, so I listened to what they talked about and his dad was just asking him what he was doing today. And, 
you know, he told him and, and then he was asking him about school. And so my son was telling him about his grades and what classes he's taking. And then he said that he, um, he's taking a foreign language and his dad was like, Oh, well I speak a foreign language. And, and whenever he got off the phone with him, he was like, I didn't even know that about him, you know? So like I said, at this point he doesn't have any interest in going to visit, Mm -hmm. but you know, I, I would take him if he wanted to go. Yeah. I think that's pretty cool that you have that mindset of, you know, even as long as it's not impeding on his health, um, that you would be able to allow him to see. Um, I run into that question a lot of like, well, you know, I don't think he should be in his life. And it's like, well, what are you basing that on? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Is it just because he doesn't parent the way you think he should? Or is it he actually is causing physical or mental harm to the child you know what I mean yeah we absolutely have to take their uh, well-being into consideration when making those decisions Mm -hmm. and have to look past our resentments you know I mean like I said before like I'm not praying for him to die and meaning you know I don't I don't have ill feelings toward him anymore you know I was so happy whenever he moved to California because I didn't have to deal with you know, the things that he was going through. And I, you know, I'm grateful for that. And I, you know, I really appreciate the fact that he did that. Although it felt like abandonment at the time, it felt like he was abandoning his child, mm. but, um, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, And that was the best thing that he could have done for my relationship with my child, you know, for our relationship, because I was able to, um, you know, like move on mm-hmm. without, without, you know, wondering what was going to happen. Is he going to show up? Is he dangerous? You know, is he clean? Is he, you know, Mm -hmm. is he using drugs? Like I didn't have to worry about those things anymore. And so I feel like it was a big favor. And, you know, like I said, this is just my experience and I know everyone's is different. And so, um, but, but I was able to also uh, pray for him and pray for him and pray for him. And also, you know, every time my phone rang, I was wondering if it was that call, like, is he dead? Wow. You know, because he's, he's a heroin addict. And so, you know, that, that was a thing. Like if I was getting a phone call from his mom or his brother, you know, it was like that, that would be the first thing that would come to mind is like, is he alive? Is he dead? Like what's going on? And so, wow, yeah. I'm sure that plays a heavy part in <laughs> Oh, man, that would put some unneeded stress into a person's yeah. life. Jeez, just you saying it made me feel like, dang. Yeah. Wow, that mm-hmm. sucks. Well, and people go through that all the time. You know, yeah. I mean, I see it in my work with, you know, parents and and uh, family members. So, yeah, it's it's tough. Opiates, like I said, we could have a whole nother podcast about mm-hmm. it. I yeah. Mean, they're so dangerous. Yeah, I mean, we definitely want to get into some of that. We had talked about you know, some of the dangers of, of uh, some of the things that are going on right now mm-hmm. uh, in the drug world that parents need to definitely uh, be aware of. What is it? Is fentanyl? Is fentanyl, it? yeah. Yes. So what is, so for those, those of us that don't know, what is fentanyl? Fentanyl is a synthetic opiate. And so basically that means that there's nothing natural about it. It's all man-made. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's very cheap. And they're, they're using it to, um, I guess, like fill other drugs. I don't, I don't really know why they're using it. Um, They're, they're lacing things with fentanyl. Mm. Um, Now, if somebody is uh, a, uh, is addicted to opiates, they may have a higher tolerance for, um, for different opiates, but we're talking about the most 
potent type of opiate is fentanyl. Um, wow. I don't know. I think they said it's like a hundred times more potent than heroin. Oh man. Yeah. Wow. And that number may be way low. So it's, it's like way more potent. So basically here's the way it was described to me by the drug court judge in Oklahoma County. Um, if you, uh, put fentanyl in your hand and it's like granules of salt. Mm -hmm. So six granules will get you high and nine will kill you. Wow. That's how little of fentanyl you need to die. Uh, The problem with that is that, like I said, it's cheap. Um, It's also odorless and it's also um, uh, tasteless. And so they're able to ship it across the border. Now this is where, legalizing marijuana has become a huge problem for the United States Mm -hmm. is um, since we have legalized marijuana, Mexico no longer has a reason to ship marijuana across the border. Right. So they're, they're not going to plow fields to grow poppies to create heroin whenever they can have a room like this size and make fentanyl. Right. Mm. So it's cheap. And, um, and I mean, so people are buying it for cheap, and they are also putting it in cocaine, methamphetamine, and they're pressing pills. But um, they might be, like, doing it in their blender in their garage. And so they're not it, – it's not – Not regulated. It's, it's not, not regulated. like, measured. Right. They're not counting six granules and then exactly. leaving you out. They're right. like, let's yes. get them high. Yes. Wow. So and this so, is like the K2 thing that they did with the – Marijuana stuff before it became legal, right? Well, but just way, way more, more deadly. Dangerous. Yeah. So the problem is, is that, you know, young kids are, you know, going to school or whatever, and, you know, they can buy a pill, never have used drugs before and die. Mm. So, I mean, it's super scary. They're, they're, if you Google like fentanyl in Denver, um, about two months ago, there was uh, five people that were, they bought some cocaine to, just have a party and um they all died and and so you know i mean that's significant but to me the more significant thing is that all five of them died and they died so fast that none of them had the time to even call 911 like that's how quickly it kills people mm-hmm. you think like if you're struggling to breathe or something like that, which is really what happens whenever you take these drugs. Like your body just depresses to the point where it just doesn't, you don't breathe anymore and you get so relaxed that you don't breathe. And it happens so fast that. Oh, so they think they're like super high and just dying. Yes. Holy crap. Yeah. It's super scary. Oh man. Mm -hmm. So how, when did this, when did this start coming about? Well, I, I, I have a friend that died of a fentanyl overdose in 2010. Now, they used to uh, just prescribe it for pain, and there were, like, patches. I don't know if you ever heard of, like, fentanyl patches. Mm-hmm. I was like, I know I've heard of this yes. before. Yeah, so it's been around for a little while. Um, I don't know. I can tell you exactly how long it's been around. But So I just know that she had gone to detox and uh, – got out and a couple of days later they found her dead in her apartment and she had one of those patches in her mouth. So people were like chewing them up to get oh, high. Oh, wow. Yeah. I know. It's so sad. And she was an amazing person. Wow. Yeah. 
So that's not one of those things that you can. So if there was like a warning, like of something to look for, uh, for the parents that have children or friends that mm -hmm. could possibly be utilizing these drugs, is there like any telltale signs that would help to identify possible usage? Yeah. Or? Well, I mean, first of all, we want to be talking to our kids about it mm -hmm. and letting them know that, um, you know, I mean, first of all, I mean, we don't want them using drugs, but I just don't think that that is the, um, I don't think that that is a reasonable conversation to be having. Can I mean, you they give us that like a us. mock conversation, right. like a they maybe send that a to mock us, one? right? Or, or to me, whenever I don't do drugs, just yeah. say no, right? Yeah. Nancy Reagan. <laughs> um, so I don't, with my son, you know, mm -hmm. I just talked to him about uh, different things. He knows that I'm sober. Um, so he's, he's very, you know, on, he's very high, like, on high alert about people doing things around him. And he says, mom, I'm never doing drugs. And I'm like, buddy, I understand <laughs> that you think that. Yeah. However, you know, there's going to come a time when you're with all of your friends and they're all drinking or passing a joint or something. Mm -hmm. And you're going to be in, you know, you're going to be the, maybe the only one that's not doing it. And so you're going to have to make a decision in that moment, you know, what, you know, what your choice is. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I would hope that it would be no, but that that's not necessarily so. I mean, even research shows that kids that have experimented are more well adjusted. I mean, this is a terrible thing to bring up in the middle of this, but they're more well adjusted than, than teetotalers. Yeah. And so, um, but I didn't tell him that, yeah. you know, <laughs> you don't want to, you don't want to tell him, Hey, to get yeah. some life experience. But basically like, don't ever feel like you can't talk to me about, um, right. you know, what's going on. Um, you know, if you see things going on around you, um, you know, I mean, it's just so important that they know that this drug is out there. Mm -hmm. Um, we pass out uh, Narcan at my work, which is a nasal spray. And I think I have some here. Nice. might be able to show you, but it's, um, basically it's a spray that you can put, I'm going to be making noise here, I'm digging in my purse. Um, you can spray it. Oh my gosh. I'm going to have to find it later. No, that's okay. You can't handle the truth. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for that. I just Maybe had to. Not, oh, it's probably in my backpack. Anyway. But it's a nasal spray, and it's it's an overdose reversal drug. So if you know anyone that's using opiates, uh, we pass it out at Mindset Behavioral Health. Um, it's free. It's not free if you go to the pharmacy to buy it, but it yeah. is free um, if you get it from us or, you know, Family and Children's has it. Um, uh, there's several places that you can get it. Um, and that's for free. So to you, help with overdose on anything? Yeah. So if you know somebody that... Um, lives with somebody that that uses opiates it's just one of those things like you would much rather have it in the home yeah than not if yeah, you yeah. needed it better safe than sorry right so yeah but as far as the conversation with the kids it's like you know just talk to them please please talk to them about drugs because they're everywhere they're prevalent you know I mean I know yesterday at the wedding I went to my nephews you know my son came up like they're they went and got a beer and they're tasting it, you know, and yeah. I was just like, Oh my God, here <laughs> we go. <laughs> 13. Oh, that's an impressionable age hey, too. I can't even, I'm not even going to get into what all I was doing at 13. Oh, I know. Like I said, <laughs> you know, for me, you know, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. So 13 so. was exciting. Um, because <laughs> yeah, 
we had we were in an era where you know there was no TV. It's funny. I saw a lady um, do a like a TikTok not too long ago. She was like, "You think you this generation is doing better than us?" She goes, "I remember when I left the house for the day. That was it. My mom just had to wonder if I was coming home." And I was like, dang, we did get away with a lot of crap. No supervision Like, there's whatsoever. none. Nobody could send a picture to your parents, like, ah, caught them doing the thing. It was like, you just were out there. Right. And like, if you didn't come home at, at, mid, at what was it, like, 8 Sunday. o'clock when the sun down went, like, they would freak out because they're stressing all day <laughs> to see, like, are you going to make it today? You know what I mean? And it's... Like now, it's like not even a, right. a maybe. You just like, pull up the tracker on. Your yeah, phone. you just like, pull up the oh, tracker. Like, are. I see where <laughs> yeah. you are. Yeah. You can tell from your doorbell. Hey, I see you. You know, <laughs> she's not supposed to be over there, buddy. You know, <laughs> that whole cameras thing. everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, she hates the cameras. She hates. Well, them. I was just gonna say it's it's also a false sense of security. So we actually <laughs> just had an event, um, and I couldn't find him, and I knew I needed to. We needed to switch, and I needed to take our son so he could leave. And so I'm like running around. I've got a deadline. And I was like, oh, I'll just track him. And so I'm literally tracking him in the building. And so I'm like following his cell phone, and then I find his thing, but I don't see him anywhere. Next thing I know, some random person's like, hey, I found your husband's cell phone. I'm like, darn it! <laughs> <laughs> I was so mad. It failed me. And in that moment, I was just like, where's my husband? <laughs> it's funny because we were about to have a group upstairs and I was like, I got to get up there and get my stuff before they get out. And then as soon as I get up there on floor 12, I got my son with us and I was like, crap, I left my phone and my backpack downstairs. I got to go. <laughs> then I go down and she looks like she just found me for the first time. Now it makes sense because she was just like, <laughs> you're here, you're alive. I'm like, we're in the embassy suites. Like, I mean, it's not like I thought he was kidnapped. It was just more of like we both have deadlines they're coming i don't know what to do right. that was good time <laughs> anyways so we have roughly about five minutes left if you could uh touch on a couple of things one i want you to give a full um explanation and plug for the amazing work that you're doing over at mindset behavioral uh tell them what you specialize in who you see why how they can uh, contact you all get involved that whole thing uh and then we will uh slide into the um uh, the, uh, the fatherhood, um, uh, podcast part of it. So that way you can kind of give dads a warning. Uh, but before we do that, so you can think about it, uh, Crystal, you have any closing remarks for Miss Amy? Uh, no, I'm going to go ahead and utilize the time that we do have to let her, you know, educate our, our listeners so that way they can get the most resources they can. Beautiful. All right. All right. Ta-da! <laughs> <laughs> well, um, yeah, not much time to say. Oh, Sorry about that. <laughs> there you go. Full commercial. Here you All go. Right. Thank you. Um, mindset, behavioral health. It's kind of like a, mm, a thing that I didn't want to do was expand. I just wanted to kind of work on my own. But I have four amazing therapists that work with me. Um we specialize in substance abuse and trauma. There's four therapists there that do EMDR, which like is a whole nother podcast right yeah. there. On. <laughs> it's um, the acronym, acronym stands for eye movement, desensitization, and reprocessing. If you want to learn more about it, please go to our website. There's a video on there that you can watch from Emdria, which is the organization that trained all of us. Um, it's a great trauma-based uh treatment 
and it's a rapid treatment, which we all love immediate gratification, right? That is one of the reasons why I have a better relationship with my father today is because of that trauma work that I've done with my therapist, specifically EMDR. So that's why I got trained in that. I love it. Um, it, it does sound like some hokey stuff whenever it's described, but I can tell you as somebody that does not go into woo woo stuff very easily, um, you know, I went out and did that on my own and realized that this was, um, very, it was, it was very effective and it's an evidence-based treatment. So they've done a lot of research on it. Um, I see, uh, mostly adults. I will see some kids if they process. I do have somebody in office that does see little children, um, specifically um, if they have parents that are substance uh, abusers or in recovery. So specifically around that. Um, and I have a male on staff. Um, I don't. I mean, I don't really know. We're we're awesome. Yeah, they're <laughs> super like, awesome. We host. Um, we host a. A professional organization once a month called AMP. It's Addiction Mental Health Professionals. It's the third um, Tuesday of every month. And so we basically just get together and have a lot of fun in the little event space that um, that I have next door to my office, which is called Where Good Things Happen. Yeah, and you haven't been there in a while. It's really I was cool going to say it was a pretty sweet spot where I got, went. We got it all done up now with nice. art and everything in there. It's really cool. It's actually, there's a baby shower going on there right now. So, oh, fantastic. So we rent that out. It's just a small little venue space. Um, yeah. I think last weekend there was a gender reveal party in there. So Nice. Um, so just good things going on in Hopefully that Hopefully they didn't shoot a cannon in there or something. No, I don't they think so. They got all kinds they of did, funny. Like, bust out one of the lights but i don't know <laughs> oh no the gender reveals are getting pretty yeah. interesting i know they're like got candles they got fireworks oh, people jumping out of it's planes so creative people are so creative i mean yes yeah, i am not i am not that person i love so. it I don't so have all the emotions what is the uh email or not the email but the uh website, website address oh it is mindset-bhs.com is that what that says Oh, I believe uh, so. Yeah. I, you, know. you can, or you can call 918-691-1435 and talk to my office ninja named Megan. Yeah, Megan. She is amazing. She is She is, is my right arm and half of my left arm. And we're hoping to get her on here too. Yes. Uh, when we, to. we were supposed to do that, uh, that thing for the city of Tulsa. So, oh yeah. Well, that still hasn't even, you know, yeah. Yeah, we're still waiting. Right. So as soon oh, as yeah. that comes. Well, we'll I've, yeah, I've been, we're doing a, a fentanyl presentation in Jinx soon. I don't have the dates on it yet, but. Yeah, let us know so we can that. post it. Yeah, because we would love sure. to get some people there. Yeah, it's just a public event so we can educate uh, mostly parents on uh, fentanyl, especially you know parents that have young young adult children, teenagers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know what am I trying to say. Here? I was like, I don't know where she's going here. Is there a height requirement? People, yeah, or? yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, hey, Miss Amy, thank you so much for taking your time to come here. Uh, we've been looking forward to this interview for quite some time. Um, so it's truly been a blessing to have you. Uh, thank you for all the work that you're doing. We look forward to uh, sending some more fathers your way. And uh, we will see you guys next time. Thank you for all of you that are sharing uh, our podcast and locking us and following us uh, and getting the word out. We look forward to connecting with you soon. Uh, see us every second and fourth Thursday uh, for our in-present um, bi-weekly fatherhood meetings or catch us every other Wednesday when we air these wonderful podcasts.
Birthright Living Legacy needs your help. As we are on a mission to help fathers who are needing to overcome obstacles to see their children. We are preparing to provide curriculum, counseling, and family law assistance for any of our fathers. We will also have many fun events to participate in with their children as we build a fatherhood community. Partner with us on Facebook or Instagram and go to our website at brlivinglegacy.com and go to our donation tab on the bottom of the page to make a contribution. For any questions, contact us on any of our platforms as we would love to help. Birthright Living Legacy, changing lives one father at a time.